Section two of Round the Red Lamp. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Round the Red Lamp by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Section two his first operation it was the first day of the winter session and the third year's man was walking with the first year's man twelve o'clock was just booming out from the tron church let me see said the third year's man you have never seen an operation never then this way please this is rutherford's historic bar a glass of sherry please for this gentleman you are rather sensitive are you not my nerves are not very strong i am afraid hmm another glass of sherry for this gentleman we are going to an operation now you know the novice squared his shoulders and made a gallant attempt to look unconcerned uh, nothing very bad eh well yes pretty bad and an amputation no it's a bigger affair than that i think i think they must be expecting me at home there's no sense in funking if you don't go today you must tomorrow better get it over at once feel pretty fit oh yes all right the smile was not a success one more glass of sherry then now come on or we shall be late i want you to be well in front surely that is not necessary oh it is far better what a drove of students there are plenty of new men among them you can tell them easily enough can't you if they were going down to be operated upon themselves they could not look whiter i don't think i should look as white well i was just the same myself but the feeling soon wears off you see a fellow with a face like plaster and before the week is out he is eating his lunch in the dissecting rooms i'll tell you all about the case when we get to the theatre the students were pouring down the sloping street which led to the infirmary each with his little sheaf of notebooks in his hand they were pale frightened lads fresh from the high schools and callous old chronics whose generation had passed on and left them they swept in an unbroken tumultuous stream from the university gate to the hospital the figures and gait of the men were young but there was little youth in most of their faces some looked as if they ate too little a few as if they drank too much tall and short tweed-coated and black round-shouldered bespeckled and slim they crowded with clatter of feet and rattle of sticks through the hospital gate now and again they thickened into two lines as the carriage of a surgeon of the staff rolled over the cobblestones between there's going to be a crowd at archers whispered the senior man with suppressed excitement it is grand to see him at work i've seen him jab all around the aorta until it made me jumpy to watch him this way and mind the whitewash they passed under an archway and down a long stone-flagged corridor with drab-colored doors on either side each marked with a number 
some of them were ajar and the novice glanced into them with tingling nerves he was reassured to catch a glimpse of cheery fires lines of white counterpane beds and a profusion of colored texts upon the wall the corridor opened upon a small hall with a fringe of poorly clad people seated all round upon benches a young man with a pair of scissors stuck like a flower in his buttonhole and a notebook in his hand was passing from one side to the other whispering and writing anything good asked the third year's man you should have been here yesterday said the outpatient clerk glancing up we had a regular field day a popliteal aneurysm a collar's fracture a spina bifida a tropical abscess and an elephantiasis how's that for a single haul i'm sorry i missed it but they'll come again i suppose what's up with the old gentleman a broken workman was sitting in the shadow rocking himself slowly to and fro and groaning a woman beside him was trying to console him patting his shoulder with a hand which was spotted over with curious little white blisters it's a fine carbuncle said the clerk with the air of a connoisseur who describes his orchids to one who can appreciate them it's on his back and the passage is draughty so we must not look at it must we daddy pemphigus he said carelessly pointing to the woman's disfigured hands would you care to stop and take out a metacarpal uh, no thank you we are due at archers come on and they rejoined the throng which was hurrying to the theatre of the famous surgeon the tiers of horseshoe benches rising from the floor to the ceiling were already packed and the novice as he entered saw vague curving lines of faces in front of him and heard the deep buzz of a hundred voices and sounds of laughter from somewhere up above him his companion spied an opening on the second bench and they both squeezed into it this is grand the senior man whispered you'll have a rare view of it all only a single row of heads intervened between them and the operating table it was of unpainted deal plain strong and scrupulously clean a sheet of brown waterproofing covered half of it and beneath stood a large tin tray full of sawdust on the further side in front of the window there was a board which was strewed with glittering instruments forceps tenecula saws canulas and trocars a line of knives with long thin delicate blades lay at one side two young men lounged in front of this one threading needles the other doing something to a brass coffee-pot like thing which hissed out puffs of steam that's peterson whispered the senior the big bald man in the front row he's the skin grafting man you know and that's anthony brown who took a larynx out successfully last winter and there's murphy the pathologist and stoddart the eye man you'll come to know them all soon who are the two men at the table nobody dressers one has charge of the instruments and the other of the puffing billy it's lister's antiseptic spray you know and archer's one of the carbolic acid men hayes is the leader of the cleanliness and cold water school and they all hate each other like poison a flutter of interest passed through the closely packed benches as a woman in petticoat and bodice was led in by two nurses a red woollen shawl was draped over her head and round her neck 
the face which looked out from it was that of a woman in the prime of her years but drawn with suffering and of a peculiar beeswax tint her head drooped as she walked and one of the nurses with her arm round her waist was whispering consolation in her ear she gave a quick side glance at the instrument table as she passed but the nurses turned her away from it what ails her asked the novice cancer of the parotid it's the devil of a case extends right away back behind the carotids that hardly a man but archer would dare to follow it ah here he is himself as he spoke a small brisk iron-gray man came striding into the room rubbing his hands together as he walked he had a clean-shaven face of the naval officer type with large bright eyes and a firm straight mouth behind him came his big house-surgeon with his gleaming pinet and a trail of dressers who grouped themselves into the corners of the room gentlemen cried the surgeon in a voice as hard and brisk as his manner we have here an interesting case of tumor of the parotid originally cartilaginous but now assuming malignant characteristics and therefore requiring excision on to the table nurse thank you chloroform clerk thank you you can take the shawl off nurse the woman lay back upon the waterproofed pillow and her murderous tumor lay revealed in itself it was a pretty thing ivory white with a mesh of blue veins and curving gently from jaw to chest but the lean yellow face and the stringy throat were in horrible contrast with the plumpness and sleekness of this monstrous growth the surgeon placed a hand on each side of it and pressed it slowly backwards and forwards adherent at one place gentlemen he cried the growth involves the carotids and jugulars and passes behind the ramus of the jaw whether we must be prepared to follow it it is impossible to say how deep our dissection may carry us carbolic tray thank you dressings of carbolic gauze if you please push the chloroform mr johnson have the small saw ready in case it is necessary to remove the jaw the patient was moaning gently under the towel which had been placed over her face she tried to raise her arms and to draw up her knees but two dressers restrained her the heavy air was full of the penetrating smells of carbolic acid and of chloroform a muffled cry came from under the towel and then a snatch of a song sung in a high quavering monotonous voice he says he says if you fly with me you'll be mistress of the ice-cream van you'll be mistress of the it mumbled off into a drone and stopped the surgeon came across still rubbing his hands and spoke to an elderly man in front of the novice narrow squeak for the government he said oh ten is enough they won't have ten long they do better to resign before they are driven to it oh i should fight it out what's the use they can't get past the committee even if they got a vote in the house i was talking to patience ready sir said the dresser talking to macdonald but i'll tell you about it presently he walked back to the patient who was breathing in long heavy gasps i suppose said he passing his hand over the tumor in an almost caressing fashion 
to make a free incision over the posterior border, and to take another forward at right angles to the lower end of it. Might I trouble you for a medium knife, Mr. Johnson? The novice, with eyes which were dilating with horror, saw the surgeon pick up the long, gleaming knife, dip it into a tin basin, and balance it in his fingers as an artist might his brush. Then he saw him pinch up the skin above the tumor with his left hand. At the sight his nerves, which had already been tried once or twice that day, gave way utterly. His head swained round, and he felt that in another instant he might faint. He dared not look at the patient. He dug his thumbs into his ears, lest some scream should come to haunt him, and he fixed his eyes rigidly upon the wooden ledge in front of him. One glance, one cry, would, he knew, break down the shred of self-possession which he still retained. He tried to think of cricket, of green fields and rippling water, of his sisters at home, anything rather than of what was going on so near him. And yet somehow, even with his ears stopped up, sounds seemed to penetrate to him and to carry their own tale. He heard, or thought that he heard, the long hissing of the carbolic engine. Then he was conscious of some movement among the dressers, where there were groans, too, breaking in upon him, and some other sound, some fluid sound, which was more dreadfully suggestive still. His mind would keep building up every step of the operation, and fancy made it more ghastly than fact could have been. His nerves tingled and quivered. Minute by minute the giddiness grew more marked, the numb, sickly feeling at his heart more distressing. Then suddenly, with a groan, his head pitching forward and his brow cracking sharply upon the narrow wooden shelf in front of him, he lay in a dead faint. When he came to himself he was lying in the empty theatre, with his collar and shirt undone. The third year's man was dabbing a wet sponge over his face, and a couple of grinning dressers were looking on. All right cried the novice, sitting up and rubbing his eyes. "'I'm sorry to have made an ass of myself.' "'Well, so I should think,' said his companion. "'What on earth did you faint about?' "'I couldn't help it. It was that operation.' "'What operation?' "'Why, that cancer.' There was a pause, and then the three students burst out laughing. "'Why, you juggins!' cried the senior man. "'There never was an operation at all.' They found the patient didn't stand the chloroform well, and so the whole thing was off. Archer has been giving us one of his racy lectures, and you fainted just in the middle of his favorite story. End of Section 2 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida